By every earthly measure, Saul had it all. Wealth, power, good looks, and all the privileges of kingship. What drove him to take his own life? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah looks at the high points and the low points in the life of Saul, who was such an important figure in young David's life. From The Tender Warrior, here's David to introduce today's message, Saul's Suicide. A person comes to know God at a point in time. Getting to know God is a slow process. But falling away from God is also a slow process and the result of countless small decisions, bad decisions made over time. Only by keeping Christ at the center of our life do we find a reason to live where life becomes difficult. And Saul failed the test. Little by little, his relationship with God is eroded until we come to the sad end of his story, which is the subject of our discussion today and tomorrow. Hey, friends, we are excited about um, our resource for the month of July. It's the book, The God Shot by Tara Lee Cowell. It's 100 daily devotional readings from the New Testament focusing on the attributes of God. It's 216 pages, hardcover, and you can read these little devotionals in just a few a few moments every day, but they will change the way you face the day. We want you to have this beautiful book, and we'd love to send it to you. Just ask for it when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of July. Just say, please send me the God Shot, and it'll be on its way. Also want you to know we're going to North Charleston Coliseum in October of this year, and there's an awful lot of emotion involved in that for us. It's the release of a new book. It's a new thing we haven't done in a long time, a two-day conference in a beautiful place where we love to go, and you can come and be a part of it, but you need to find out about it at davidjeremiah.org. Well, it's time for our study, so this is part one of Saul's Suicide, 1 Samuel chapter 31. Glad that you have decided to join with us today in our study of the Word of God, and I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to the last chapter in 1 Samuel. We are going to close out the book of 1 Samuel today as we are studying the life of David. And today, a rather sad note in a sense because it is the final chapter in the life of Saul. In another sense, I suppose we should sigh a sigh of relief, for at last David will no longer be running from him. And this brings to a conclusion the first section of the life of David, where he is in exile. And we are going to study now this very last chapter in the life of Saul. And if you have your Bibles open to 1 Samuel 31, I'd like to read the chapter. It's very brief. You follow in your Bibles as I read from mine. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men that same day together. 
And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they that were on the other side Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. It came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head, stripped off his armor, sent it into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. And when the inhabitants of Jabez-Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. I don't think there's anything very exciting about reading an obituary. And what we have just read is the obituary of Saul. In some respects, I suppose we could say it's his epitaph. What is written upon his tombstone? Years ago, when I first started to do Bible conference ministry, I started to collect the rather strange and quaint sayings that people put on their tombstones. And as soon as I mentioned it one time, I had scores of people coming to give me new ones that they had found. It's a wonderful and interesting thing to observe what some people have written upon their graves. I think probably the best-known epitaph is that of the hypochondriac who had written on his tombstone these words, I told you I was sick. Years ago when we used to travel across the country on the two-lane highways and observe the Burma Shave signs, we ran into a lot of quaint little sayings like that. One that was specifically addressed to those who are athletically inclined went like this. Here lies the body of Archibald Rummy. He tackled the coach instead of the dummy. Another one that someone gave me after the morning service that I had forgotten, but I had remembered reading it. He lit a match to check his gas tank and died with the name of Skinless Frank. And that was on a Burma Shave sign. Here's another one that someone gave me not long ago. Beneath this sod, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 26th of May began to hold her tongue. Now that says a lot about that woman, doesn't it? My all-time favorite is a very theological epitaph. It is actually found on a grave someplace in the southwestern part of our country. And it goes like this. Here lies the body of old man Pease, buried neath the flowers and trees. But Pease ain't here, just the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. I think that's a great one. (laughs) What you write on a man's grave can oftentimes tell you a lot about him. Before we're finished today, we're going to see what was written on the grave of Saul. Sad words for a man who lived a rather sad and tragic life. But you know, it didn't start that way, did it? In some respects, Saul was not responsible for that which brought him ultimately to the kingdom. If you turn back in your Bibles to the 8th chapter of 1 Samuel, you will discover that Saul came to be king out of the strange and unholy desire of the people of Israel. They were not any longer listening to Samuel the prophet. 
And they looked about them in their circumstances and saw that all of the pagan nations that surrounded them had their own king. And they asked God to give them a king and God didn't want to do it. But they continued to badger him until we read in the 8th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel and verses 19 and 20. These words of resignation on the part of God. Listen, 1 Samuel chapter 8 verses 19 and 20. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. If you ever happen to be reading through the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, you will find a very isolated verse written by that prophet who passes judgment on this event. And this is what he says in Hosea 13:11. God is speaking. I gave them a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. That describes how Saul's outward circumstances make us understand why he was king in the first place. But we cannot hold Saul responsible for the wrong actions of the people of Israel. He is not responsible that the people of Israel wanted a king unjustly and God ultimately gave in and gave them the desires of their heart. And from the Initial study of the life of Saul, we discover that he had much going for him that should have kept him going straight toward the goal of honoring God every day he lived. First of all, we learn in the ninth chapter of 1 Samuel that Saul was physically attractive. He apparently was a man among men. The second verse of 1 Samuel 9 says it this way, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. It was true to say that Saul stood head and shoulders above all the men of Israel. And he also had gained popularity with the people. Not just because they wanted a king and he fulfilled their wish. But apparently in his early days, Saul had some charisma with the people whom he ruled. And you will read about that in the 10th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel and verse 24. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. And Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book, laid it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. So Saul was physically attractive, he was popular with the nation, and he had even gathered around him a band of zealots who believed God had set Saul apart to be the leader of Israel. But when you add to his physical attractiveness and his popularity with the people the fact that God had in a wonderful way provided him and prepared him, you have to wonder how Saul ever got so far away from his beginnings. In 1 Samuel 11:6, we read a simple little phrase concerning God's relationship with Saul. And the spirit of the Lord or the spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings. The Bible says that in the beginning God's spirit was on Saul. And another place we read that God gave to Saul another heart. 
Later on, after Saul's demise, we are told that God removed his spirit from Saul. And obviously, you can't remove something that's never there in the first place. So we understand that in the beginning, Saul had many, many things that were going for him. And he could have been much more than he was. Author and traveler John Gunther used to say that whenever he visited a country where he had never been before, he always talked to the leading personalities and tried to focus on two questions. These were the questions that he would ask the personalities that he met. Number one, what are the real sources of power behind the man? And number two, what does he believe in the most? Well, if Gunther had bumped into King Saul in the early days of his kingship, and had asked him those two questions, Saul would have answered them in a very straightforward manner, and I think he would have given the same answer to both questions. What are the sources behind you, Saul? The living God. What do you believe in the most? The living God. But if that same man had come to see Saul at the end of his life, near to the place where we have met him today in chapter 31, he would have discovered that what Saul apparently believed in the most and what he considered to be his ultimate source was his spear and human force and human resources. Saul had left off believing in God and he had taken to himself the authority and the power of his own life. And in spite of all of his privileges and all of the good things that he had going for him, Saul began his life by disobeying God. And we read the tragic end to his life here in the 31st chapter. I think it would be instructive for us today if we took a brief journey back through Saul's life, just hitting some of what we might normally call the high spots, but in his life they were the low spots. First thing that Saul did in his trek away from God was he disregarded God's prophet. In 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verses 8, through 16, there is the story of Saul's disregard for the prophet Samuel. Samuel had told Saul to go to Gilgal and to wait there for seven days. And Samuel said, I will come and present sacrifices and offerings to the Lord in advance of your going out against the Philistines. It was the custom never to go to war against a foreign nation before seeking the face of God with sacrifices and offerings and worship unto him. Saul went to Gilgal, and he waited the seven days, and Samuel didn't come. Saul was impatient, impetuous. He knew the Philistines were gathering. He knew that the war clouds were there. He was afraid that the Philistines would march against him before he had an opportunity for Samuel to come and make sacrifice to God. And so Saul, in a belligerent move, and in one which, according to the Old Testament law, defies the most sensitive spirit, Saul took it upon himself to become the prophet and priest, and he offered the sacrifice to God. And when Samuel came and he met Saul, Samuel said, Saul, what have you done? You have taken into your own hands that which is not rightfully yours. He has not walked far before we come to the 15th chapter, and we touched upon that when we were in our earlier messages on the life of David. In the 15th chapter, beginning in the second and third verse, we have a command, a direct command from the Lord. 
Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. I know we have trouble with these imprecatory passages in the Bible where God tells one of his servants to go and annihilate a whole people. But that was God's way of maintaining the purity of the Jewish line, and it was God's instruction, and it wasn't man's instruction, it was God's. Saul did not have to have anybody to interpret God's command. He could understand what God asked him to do just as easily as you and I can understand it by reading it in the text today. But look, if you will, in the ninth verse and notice what Saul did. And Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, they destroyed that utterly. And you know the rest of the story that Saul will ultimately try to use as an excuse that he kept all of the lambs and the sheep so they could use them to sacrifice to God. And when he finally met Samuel the prophet that day, Samuel said, did you do what God told you to do? And Saul said, yes, it's all done. We've done everything God told us to do. And Samuel said, if that's true, why do I hear the sheep baying in the background? What meaneth the bleeding of the sheep? And then Saul, in an act of cowardice, says, well, we were going to do that. I was going to kill all the people and kill all the sheep, but the people didn't want me to, so I acquiesced to them. And finally, Samuel points his finger at King Saul and pronounces... God's judgment upon him in verse 22 of the 15th chapter. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. You see what Saul was doing now? He was disobeying God and using religious reasons to justify it. How often that happens today. So he has disregarded God's prophet and he has disobeyed God's purposes. And now thirdly, we come to the 22nd chapter in this ongoing tale of Saul. And we discover thirdly that he destroys God's priests. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Here we run into this fellow named Dog, D-O-E-G, who reported that the priest in this certain village had been supportive of David, who was Saul's enemy. When Saul heard that, he was infuriated. And he brought the people together and he called in this man, Dog. And we read in chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, the king said to Dog, turn now and fall upon the priests. And Dog the Edomite turned and he fell upon the priests and slew on that day Four score and five, eighty-five persons that did wear a linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. Saul was responsible for killing eighty-five priests, all of the families and the entire village. He just totally destroyed it out of anger because they had acted as an accomplice to David who was running away from King Saul. So he has disregarded God's prophet. He has disobeyed God's purposes. Now he has destroyed God's priests. We were in the 28th chapter and we discovered that he went to an all-time low in his life. Confronted with the inability to get a hold of God. 
Saul now decides that he will consult with the spirits and the mediums and the witch of Ender, and he degraded God's person. He walked away from God to his arch enemy, and he consulted with the devil concerning God's work. He was seeking the help of the devil himself. When we read in chapter 28, verses 7 and 8, And Saul said unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit and endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. If you would have said to Saul the day he was crowned as king of Israel, Saul, king of Israel, anointed of the Lord God, touched by the prophet Samuel, there will come a day in the not too distant future when you will be consulting with an evil witch and seeking the devil's help for your pursuits. Saul would have said, no way, it will never happen. But what the man is at the beginning of his career and what he is now at the end of his career is the result of a series of concessions that he made to the enemy along the way. First of all, not listening carefully to what the prophet said and taking the prerogative to do that which was not his out of impatience. Then only partially obeying what God told him to do with regard to the Amalekites. And then in a fit of anger, destroying a whole set of God's people. And finally, we see him in the 28th chapter. He has totally destroyed everything that was worthwhile in his life. From one sin to another, Saul descended until now he is to perish by his own hand. And that brings us to chapter 31. There's not a great deal we can say to add to the record of the 31st chapter. Here is a sad and sorry tale of the end of one man's life. Notice, first of all, in verse 1, Saul's soldiers are slain. The Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. I don't think there could be anything sadder for a king and a would-be warrior, a one-time champion, than to watch his whole army be decimated and destroyed. But the scripture says that Saul's soldiers were all killed. He and his sons, at least in this moment of time, remain. But he watches while his entire unit is wiped out. Talk to some of the men who have served in the military. Ask them what it's like when they see even one of their compadres who is killed, and they will tell you it is the most devastating and dehumanizing of experiences. But Saul presided over the death of an entire army, once again because of his own rebellion and sin. Well, the story of Saul is a real study in human uh, failure. A man who had it all and let it all go because he wouldn't follow God. You know, sometimes when people are successful, they like having God on the way up, but when they get to the top, they think it's all about them. And they release God from the formula, and the fall begins almost immediately, as it did with Saul. We'll have more about this tomorrow. On Friday, we're going to talk about a eulogy for an enemy, David's words for Saul at his death. You can get all this information on the life of David in two study guides. They're called The Tender Warrior. 
Volume 1, Volume 2, and you can also get the CD packages that go with them. So you can study the life of David with your study guide, listening to the CD, and you can go through all of his life, just like we're doing on the radio, for yourself, for review, for a small group, for whatever you do when you study the Word of God. We've given you some tools to help you. The CDs, the study guides, are there to encourage you to take advantage of this study. Don't forget, friends, we're going to Israel in March of 2024. Uh, We are taking a whole lot of folks with us to visit Jerusalem, Galilee, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, all of the special places that you've always wanted to see. Some wonderful places to stay, great direction, um, luxury coaches to take you from place to place, and just a great program and a great time. It's an opportunity for a lifetime. If you haven't ever been, I hope you will consider joining us in March of 2024 as we go to Israel. In the meantime, we'll see you tomorrow right here on this good station as we continue our discussion of the tender warrior, the life of David. Thanks for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Many people say they know Jesus, but all too often they know about him, but they don't truly know him. For this reason, Dr. David Jeremiah wrote The Jesus You May Not Know, which provides insight about his eternal nature and role on earth and in heaven. This book is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for donations of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, He Is Bookmark, Study Guide, and CD or DVD album. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. I came across a surprising but disheartening survey. 
More than 1,300 self-confessed religious business owners were asked if they run their business according to their religious principles. 42% said no. I'm not sure what to make of that number. Why would anyone hold to religious beliefs but not incorporate them into their daily life and business dealings? Apparently, it's not a new problem. The Bible addresses the disconnect between faith and works. Faith without consistent actions is dead, the Apostle James wrote. But before we judge, let's look in the mirror first. Do our daily actions prove that our faith is genuine? This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover what God expects of our faith on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.